Fellowship of Catholic Scholars, uh, which I'm, I'm now um, privileged to be uh, president of, and I could explain that to you in private at some other some other point, but it's, it's great to be with you tonight. And um, I think the, um, the first thing to, to say is that I'm not the only one who's been, who's been thinking about the passage from C.S. Lewis that was on the blurb uh, for this conference because th there's a temptation today and there's a temptation, there was a temptation during World War II to stop everything that is, uh, that might appear to be trivial because we're all anxious about either the war or today about the virus. And I think C.S. Lewis's point is extremely well taken today, which is that, and he was talking in the context of education, that there's really only one important thing in life, and that's to consider eternity and how I'm living toward that eternity. And that's something I must be concerned about at all times. And so we, at this time in our lives, no matter what's happening, should be concerned about that. And so we should be concerned about perfection, holiness. We should be, certainly we should be careful, as we would be careful in, in wartime. And, and C.S. Lewis was not saying there shouldn't be soldiers or there shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, sign up to, to fight in the war if that's, our, if that's our duty. But we each have a particular call in life and nothing that's happening out there or even that's happening to our bodies, whether it's cancer or blindness or some other crippling disease or unemployment or financial concerns, prevents us from living the life that God is calling us to live. So wherever, whatever is unsettling us, as I wrote for the introduction to the retreat, whatever decisions and questions we face, the answer remains the same. A more attentive listening to God, a virtuous life, a life of holiness and of hope. What would I want you to take away? And I, I shouldn't say you, I should say we. What would I want us to take away? Because I'm going through this retreat with you. It's been valuable to prepare it. How will you measure, how will we measure what, whether what we've intended to accomplish, accomplish is a funny thing to say during a retreat, but what will we want to say about ourselves at the end of the retreat? I would say simply this. Each of us will return, in some sense, to the same life. But it's my prayer that we will have a different horizon, maybe a larger context a greater sense of each of us within eternity, a greater sense of creation held in being by God who has loved each of us into existence. So a greater attentiveness 
the beauty, the grace that God is trying to show us and to bring to us. Each of us as cherished, as a beloved, more aware of both our unworthiness and of our calling. I asked my younger brother, he's father of five, what I should say to a group of men on retreat. And he wrote this, be men with chests. Take the abuse and move forward with humility, but confidence in the truth. Be men with chests. Be real men in your lives as husbands, as fathers, in the work that you do, in how you treat others. That doesn't mean be aggressive. You all know that, you who are fathers. Be strong men, knowing your call and knowing your life as service. So the first topic for this conference, the first topic for this, the only topic for this session is perfection. I want to begin with two individuals from the Bible as we think about perfection. The first is David, King David, and the second is St. Peter. I chose them because they're also well known not only as leaders but as great sinners or as great failures. David with Bathsheba, who was so blind to the evil he had done. And Nathan says to him, that man is you, the man who stole someone else's beautiful lamb. And St. Peter, who denied Christ. So the first thing I, I want to leave you with or bring forward is the perfection, the holiness to which we are called is not a denial of our weakness and our failures. Christian perfection is not and never can be human perfection. Christian perfection is the perfection of a relationship with God that shows itself to be true even amid the seeming unimportant aspects of human life. I'm reminded of a <clears throat> couple that I knew years ago and the husband had had a, had a problem with overspending and gambling, I think on the internet he was gambling and you know wasting a lot of money. And a few years later <clears throat> I asked the wife, was there still a problem? I think something had, had revealed itself and I wondered was there still a problem? And she said no with great confidence, she said. My husband is weak but he's not dishonest. He would have told her if that had come back. She was confident of that. And so our own call to holiness does not deny 
what we have done, and the weaknesses that we live with, even in these moments. So, one, one author said, there is a, there's a kind of holiness movement that puts an emphasis on God producing specimens of holiness to put in his museum. He says, if you accept this concept of personal holiness, that you're going to become a specimen that God can put in his museum, your life's determined purpose will not be for God, but for what you call evidence of God in your life. So you're going to be the specimen in the museum and everybody can see God in your life, but that's not your purpose then is not God, but somehow yourself. So what shines forth and reveals God in your life, this is the, the, the author suggesting the real call here, is not your relative consistency to an idea of what a saint should be, but your genuine living relationship with Jesus Christ and your unrestrained devotion to him whether you are well or sick. So your genuine living relationship with Christ, your devotion to him whether you are well or sick. I am called to live in such a perfect relationship with God that my life produces a yearning for God in the lives of others not simply admiration for myself. So you, want to, you who are fathers, you want to produce that in your children. You want them to see in you a path, or, uh, that you're on a path that they want to be on, a yearning for God in the lives of others. Thoughts about myself hinder my usefulness to God. And you almost certainly all know this. At different points in your lives when you've forgotten yourself and really laid down your life, you've probably been the most fulfilled ever, right? Precisely because you weren't focused on yourself. God's purpose is not to perfect me, to make me a trophy in his showcase. He is getting me to the place where he can use me. Let him do what he wants. Let him do what he wants. I, now I don't know what each of you is, is living with, but I think I can say with confidence that you can live this life no matter what you're dealing with. Recently had occasion to see a short video <coughs> of uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen, and he was referring to uh, the great writer Dostoevsky. Um, and what I had not known, and it should have been well known to me, but that he had been uh, on the verge of being executed. He was um, in Siberia, and people, I guess about 10 or 20 of them, were rounded up to be shot. And it was at the last few moments that the Tsar uh, commuted the sentences of all of them. So this was in around 1854. So he had not yet written the Brothers Karamazov or Crime and Punishment, 
And it was in the middle of, of five years of tremendously hard labor, uh, just brutal conditions that he was living in. And what, what would it take for each of us in that kind of situation to retain hope or to be hopeful, to have some sense that my life is, is more than this? And we have lots of examples of this. Today is actually the, the um, anniversary of the election of John Paul II. And think of all the things that he saw in his life, uh, the, the communism that he worked so hard to, to resist and to tear down in certain areas. Uh, and yet, what, what was his great line when he was, his great message to us when he was elected? Be not afraid. Be not afraid. So what is unsettling you? What is unsettling us? I'll just throw out some possibilities. The election might be unsettling, or the, the possibility of great challenges after the election. Probably one way or the other, there'll be challenges. Living at a distance, financial challenges. Maybe your marriage is not what it used to be. Maybe your daughter or son appears to have no use for you. Maybe you're addicted to wasting time on the internet. That's a tremendous challenge for many people today. Before we even talk about wasting your time on the internet with things that are unhealthy for you, right? You can waste a lot of time on the internet with things that are not bad in themselves, but a lot, a lot of people waste a lot of time with things that are, are really unhealthy for them and for their families. But whatever it is, God is calling you in this moment into relationship, a deeper relationship. And it could be that the prospect that everything will be taken away from me in some way, the prospect that, that my relationships are not going well, and my pro the, the, the concern about the direction of the country, it could be that the, it's the very prospect of those losses that could affect a, a greater turning to, to God and to the relationship that he's calling out for us. So the call to perfection or holiness is essentially what the Christian spiritual life is all about. Now it happens, and it may not be true in this group, but it happens that a lot of men are not comfortable talking about holiness or the spiritual life, or spirituality. I remember when I first heard the term uh, spirituality, probably early in seminary formation, I just didn't like the word. Uh, it, 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 it seemed too far away or abstract or something like that, right? But some men also, and again, I don't know this group, but some men view the term Spirituality is sort of unmanly, not a manly thing, right? And for some, there's a concern that the church itself has in a certain sense, and I'll be careful when I use this word, has in a certain sense been feminized, right? So, so to be a spiritual man is to be a wimpy man. That's just not, really, that's not what we're going to talk about this, these few days. 
But there is that kind of fear or that kind of concern. To be holy is to be wimpy. No matter, well, I shouldn't say no matter, it's just the case that Christ gives us so many good examples of a really strong, balanced man. Right? How he treated children, how he treated women, how he treated sinners, how he cleared out the temple, how firm he was with the Pharisees, you hypocrites. He was firm. He was firm. And so we have a model in Christ for a spirituality or a holiness that is anything but an, um, I shouldn't say effeminized, I should say a deformed feminine. It's, it's anything but a deformed feminine. Our growth in this area is what God wants from us. It's what he expects from us. What are, the, what are the ways there? How do we get there? We can say a few words about faith in, in this and freedom. How do we be converted, we who are, many of you are almost certainly uh, cradle Catholics, what would it mean at this stage in your life, whether you're 30 or 40 or 50 or 60, to be converted, to be changed somehow? And that's going to be, the answer to that is going to be a deeply personal answer. Cardinal, then Cardinal Ratzinger wrote that freedom comes and comes only to one who has the courage to change. By change, he's speaking of metanoia. So the biblical understanding of conversion or metanoia is concerned not only with criticizing bad external behavior, but also with scrutinizing the evil lurking in one's own heart. So we want to transform, or be transformed, we want Christ to transform in me my attitude, my attitude toward all of my, my, my relationships, my work, everything. So to be a Christian, one must change not just in some particular area, but without reservation, even to the innermost depths of one's being. So what is it, we should ask, in our lives as men, as husbands and fathers? What is it that is in need of change, conversion, repentance? If I'll ask you at the end again, but if I asked you, if Christ came and said, you know, follow me now. What would you say to him that would be the analogous to, oh, let me go bury my parents? I, not right now. Maybe tomorrow morning I could follow you. What is it that needs to happen interiorly here? 
that you could say, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm going to drop everything. I'm ready. So part of this will involve a willingness to, to stay away from worldly standards of progress. Worldly standards of progress. I think this is more seductive than we realize. Worldly standards of progress. So comparisons with others in our profession, comparisons of children with the children of your friends, comparisons of salaries. In a different way, I think the, the election coverage I don't want to say this. It can get us so caught up in the world. Now, I am, I am a political junkie. That doesn't mean I, I know what I'm talking about, but, but I can listen to these shows and watch things, and I can get all worked up, right? But we're all going to die. We're going to face, we're going to face judgment. It does, I'm not suggesting here that what happens in this election doesn't matter greatly. I'm, a, I'm, a, you know, I'm in, among those who think it matters greatly what happens. And really, uh, tremendous issues are on the table. How do we, and this will come forth in the Gospel on Sunday, how do we render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's? Right? And I'm suggesting here that, that to break with every worldly standard of progress right means to get that right to get that balance right how to do what you need to do quote in the world fix your house up you know take spend time with your wife take care of her and Either while doing that or separate from that, tonight, tomorrow, render unto God. I'm always inclined to say while doing that because I don't want to say that while you're loving your wife, you're not loving God. I don't want to say that while you're working hard at your profession, you're not loving God. But, but the, the, the worldly standards can always be soaking, sinking into you and you don't even realize it. You don't get a chance to step back and really consider the greater context of your life. So there is an element of the, the pursuit of holiness, perfection, that is, in a sense, passive. What do I mean by that? We have received life, our very existence from God, and we've received our vocations from God. We don't, we didn't determine the value of other people. We didn't determine the value of creation. So receiving all of this is critical. Receiving it as gift. And receiving my life, each of you, receiving your life. Becoming more aware of yourself, your self-knowledge, and your self-acceptance. 
the things you are that you wish you weren't and the things that you are that you're glad you are. Received from God who is also giving you the grace to live those gifts, live with those gifts most fully. What you've been given, what I've been given, has been given to be shared. It's been given to be, so we receive from God, we give it all away. Again, Cardinal Ratzinger, in speaking about the, the creed, he says, I believe in God, I believe in thee, I trust myself to thee. Now why don't I say I believe in Jennifer? I believe in Stephanie, right? Well they don't, Stephanie and Jennifer don't meet the requirements, right? They don't meet the requirements. God is absolute. He is the objective ground of all reality. Jennifer is not, Stephanie is not. They're lovely creations. And so there is something deeply personal, individual of our call, even though we live it out socially with others. Now it's critical that we, when we, we think about how we're going to live this out, that we recognize that the, the gospel call to evangelize is to bring joy. So when we think about our faith, our trust, we should show people better perhaps than has happened in certain settings, show that our faith is not opposed to the celebration of life, is not opposed to joy. Right? And that's one of the things about the, the um, getting out of ourselves. You know, if you have a bad day and you go home and you, you're hanging your head and your children see you had a bad day and your wife sees you had a bad day, um, well, what are you going to do when there's a real tragedy? Right? There's got to be, I shouldn't say there's got to be, the, the, the goal, one of the goals is to have that bad day and to get home and nevertheless to have joy. It doesn't mean you can't talk to your wife about some of the bad things that happen, right? But put it in a bigger context. A bigger context. We can possess this joy, this fulfillment of our deepest desires, only if we live in Jesus' love. And we do this by keeping his commandments. Central, of course, is that we love one another as the Lord has loved us. So we can possess this joy when we have a terrible day, and we can nevertheless lay down our lives for those whom we love. And when we get really good at it, even for our enemies, right? Bad day, go home, lay down your life for some enemy. 
right? How's that sound? Not very attractive initially. Um, one of the writers I was looking at in preparation for this talked about the, the sort of amazing popularity of the story of the Good Samaritan. Even atheists recognize this is kind of a, a really a high ideal that somebody who, who has is, is a sworn enemy would actually take care of somebody on the side of the road. So we're, we're required, if we, if we really trust God here, we're required to say, because he's saying it to us, it is good that I exist. It is good that I exist. It's not good that I'm sinning. It's good that I exist. And, and God is calling me even when I'm caught in my sin. He's trying to reach out to me even when I'm caught there. So even in that moment, he's trying to say to you, it's good that you exist. Wake up. It's good that you exist. You have a call. Wake up. God finds man so important that he suffered and died for him on the cross. The cross of Christ is the clearest affirmation of our existence as good, not merely in word, but in deed. To God, man, each and every man, is worth the death of his innocent and only begotten son. On this fact, we can be assured that we are loved and loved in truth. So Cardinal Ratzinger goes on to say, Thus, Christianity is by its very nature joy, the ability to be joyful, because we are assured of this love. We are assured of this love. So this call, although I've spoken about it as individual, this call that I've spoken about as individual, it's individual in the sense that no one else can live your call. No one else can live the vocation you have been given. And yet, it's a call to enhance, create community, to move out of yourself into community, to build community and friendships to work politically in society, to form clubs, to offer to others the experience of community, to make them open to community, to make your children open to community and, and interrelationships. And it's there, having received the joy that, that God is trying to give each of us, we there, it's in those settings that we can also create situations that allow others to experience the joy of that community. So we men who can be suspicious of community, 
need to take these words to heart and find the support of other men who have a deep desire to live and to model the Christian life. Something I want to, to, to leave you with before I leave you with a final question. Pope Benedict spoke about one of the challenges uh, that, now this is of course, I'm trying to think of what actually Cardinal Ratzinger, I'm trying to remember when Cardinal Ratzinger wrote this, but he spoke of the challenge of dissent in the church. I would argue that challenge of dissent in the church is more complicated today than it was 20 years ago. It's more complicated. But he has a simple way of thinking about this. He says, Cardinal Ratzinger speaks of the difficulty that many have experienced in the church today of discerning the true way from the false way amidst all of the dissent. I see that there are dueling bishops on the topic of abortion. I saw that today in an article. Um, that's really kind of too bad, right? What he says is this, where joylessness reigns, where humor dies, the spirit of Jesus Christ is assuredly absent. So be attentive to who is really joyful. Now you may say to yourself, my wife is a better judge of joy. You know, I, I see something, I see pleasure, or she sees joy, right? But, but whoever you trust to help show you that, notice it. Notice where there's real joy. If you can't get into the weeds of the philosophical and theological arguments, which can be very challenging, look, look for the joy that's there. And we know this is possible. We know it's possible because we know that people have joyfully, or at least in peace, gone to their execution. Many of you probably remember that, that scene of the, the Egyptian cops uh, being executed on the beach maybe five years ago. Uh, I think in Libya, maybe, or somewhere on, uh, uh, near there. And, and there, the, here are men who did not expect to be ending their lives at that time. Probably a lot of them would have liked to say, let me go back and say goodbye to my wife or my, my parents or all those things. But the deep sense you get of that scene is they are at peace as they're about to be executed. And our, our call is to be at peace. No matter what is unsettling me at this time, whatever is unsettling you at this time, to be at peace. Christ is trying to bring that in every moment of our lives. I had some notes here to, to leave you with. I'm going to see if I can try to remember them because I'm not finding them here. Well, it was simply this. Well, maybe I do have it here. There we go. Always look in your folder. So um, one of the courses I, I took in uh, philosophy was uh, on postmodernism. And the, the most beneficial thing I got from this course 
was um, an understanding of, of one of the criticisms of standard morality, right? One of the criticisms of, of a structure of morality that's all rational and all complete. And the analogy would be, uh, can you explain what God is asking you to do? And the example that this professor used, he was using another writer, was uh, of the call of Abraham to God's asking him to slay his son Isaac. And so here's Abraham doing what God is asking him to do faithfully. I'm going to go do it. I'm going to bring my son up and I'm going to slay him because I trust God. And the author was saying, this is not the kind of thing that if he'd run into Sarah and Sarah had said, so what are you up to? It's not, he couldn't have explained it. He couldn't say, well, God, you know, I've been talking to God, God's been talking to me, I'm going to go up and I'm going to kill our son. So there's something about the call of each of, of us that, that is, I, I mean, I think the critique fails in various ways, the critique of morality fails in various ways, but there is something unique and personal, and you've probably, the, you who are, who are married, have, have experienced this both with your wife and with yourself. There's something in the nature of what you've got to do that she doesn't understand. And there's something in the nature of what she's got to do that you don't understand. Now, what it is that allows you to trust her and her to trust you, many of you could probably explain that to me better than I could, right? There, there's, but there is something where you say, you know, I don't understand it, but I trust what she's telling me. And she trusts me here. And I better live up to that, right? I better live up to that trust and not be fudging it here. So my, my question, the question I would like to leave you with, um, and I referred to this earlier, if Jesus were to come to you now and say, follow me, what would you want to go away and do first? Take care of your parents, take care of your wife, your children, finish some things up at your job or something else. Would you go away sad like the rich young man? So Jesus comes to you tonight, follow me. What's the nature of your response? Can you drop it all? Or is there something you still got to take care of? Now, if God doesn't come to you tonight, those things you got to take care of, you could probably take care of, right? <laughs> Maybe next week. Maybe there are some things you need to put in order so that when he does call, you'll be ready, right? That's also what we're talking about here because... As long as you don't die tonight, you still have been given more days on the earth to prepare for eternity. But part of what I hope for each of us is that after the weekend, we'll have a clearer sense of those priorities, a clearer sense of what it is that will bring peace. I should say, allow me to receive the peace. Allow me to receive the peace that God is trying to give me.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.